Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back into the Buster Show podcast. Today, we're very lucky because we have my friend Rob Go in on the show. Rob, how are you? Good. Good to be back. You're looking great. Thanks, man. Likewise. Uh, but the uh, it, truthfully, the Lincolns and Da Vinci's behind me really spice things up. <laughs> they did it. That's good. You got that Lincoln beard working. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so the, the last time you came on, you were on Talking Shop. So now this is the Buster Show, uh, which is a little bit more general. That's all card specific. Um, this is, you know, people who are interested in entrepreneurship, interested uh, in all of that stuff too, but a little bit broader. Um, and I, I wanted to start this off. We're going to talk about your NFT drop coming up. But first, I wanted to give people a little bit of context on you as the entrepreneur, as the builder. Uh, and somebody who sees great opportunities, uh, who I consider uh, very wise and experienced in that realm. Uh, how did things get started for you? Where did your entrepreneurial journey really start to take off? You know, honestly, for me, it was kind of just born in me. You know, I mean, even as a kid, my mom always tells a story about how I would go to the neighbors, pick up rocks out of their yard and then go to the door and try to sell it to them. Um, so, you know, I think it's always been, I mean, even, you know, in middle school, I sold airheads, which is a candy. I sold it on the bus and, um, you know, I just have always kind of just been in it and been a hustler. You know, I used to shovel driveways because in Indiana it snows and cut grass. And, you know, as soon as I hit 14, I could go get a job and I, I went to the, um, local ice cream shop, but I was like the hard worker. So right out there power washing at five in the morning before it opened and, and, um, you know, I was always just a, a hard worker and, um, and a hustler. So I, I think it was just kind of built in me. And my mom I, was, a, was a massive um, model in my life, always saying that, you know, you can do anything that you want. And anytime I would, things would get tough and I would say, oh, I can't do that. She would always say, can't never did anything. And um, so I think that mindset of just pushing me on times that I wanted to give up or I didn't want to do something because it sucked or it was tough. Um, her kind of, you know, pushing me to do that was always, um, you know, just makes you who you are. And, um, so I think it was, you know, just from an upbringing, you know, hundred percent and doing some of that physical, uh, labor intensive stuff at that young of an age just sets you up to have that determination the same way other things like working out and doing things like that all do. They instill that drive that never goes away. Uh, you know, if you're, if you set out to finish a project, even if it's just mowing a lawn and then you do it, that, that stays with you no matter what you do. Yeah. You know, that's one thing that, you know, the biggest thing was never, never stopping, never quitting, even though when you want to. So even if it was something that was, I really hated as a kid or as an adult, you know, I just always, Hey, you signed up for it. You know, you got to finish it. You got to give all the effort. You don't have to do it after that, after you finish uh, you can, you know, pivot and do something else, but you start it and you, you got to finish strong. So I think that's uh, an important thing to do. Totally. Now, what was your first major that you consider for yourself, your first major entrepreneurial success? Because now you're in a place where obviously you bought the most expensive uh, sports card ever um, and, you know, own dope and all these things. What was your first big entrepreneurial success? 
So, I mean, I had a few exits prior to this one, um, but the one that, you know, the one I'm going to talk about, it's, it's, it, was, um, it was an online business that we pushed sales for about every major retailer in the world. Sears, Home Depot, Macy's, 1-800-Flowers, you name it, and we drove them sales. We took a commission for it. So uh, the internet guys will know it's called affiliate marketing, and we were um, one of the biggest, and we did this thing called Trademark Plus bidding, and that's what it was. And it sold to a public company in Silicon Valley um, called Quotient, great company. They own um, a business called coupons.com. That's one of their divisions. And you know, so I would say that was because it was something where I met a, uh, my business partner who had, you know, been doing this before. And uh, it was something where we said, we're going to sell this, we're going to grow this thing and sell it within three years. And, uh, and we did that before the two, before the three year mark. And so it was, um, it was a hustle and it was great business. And, um, and it was the first time I sold to a public company. And that's why, um, you know, we hired an investment bank and, and the other deals in the past, I, I kind of did privately and, and, did it myself. And um, so I think that was the, that was my first, I guess, big one. The other ones were great and it helped me get there, but um, that was a great, that was a great win. Totally. Now, you know, I, I don't know the full story on dope, but you eventually acquired it because you thought that there was, I imagine, great brand IP that you could do more with, or what was the story in, in that process? Yeah, you're exactly right. So it was founded in Indiana, where I'm from. And uh, it was a clothing brand, been around for a long time, very celebrity driven. And, um, you know, I saw that in the future, I thought that CBD and cannabis would both become um, more well used and, you know, and, and kind of and legalized. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it was kind of, a, you know, a future assumption. And uh, so I bought it because I own the word you know, I bought the trademark portfolio, which was very uh, vast. And I bought, you know, I own dope.com and dope on social media. And I just thought that would be very important. And prior to doing that, I, um, you know, I did some data uh, market research and found that a majority of consumers would pick the, the brand dope over anything else. And so that's why I bought it, you know, and, and uh, didn't really know clothing prior to this. And, um, and so you know, figured it out along the way and had a nice exit there to a company in, uh, in Sweden. And they bought the trademarks for clothing. And then I retained all the other trademarks and retained dope.com and, and the logo, which is the logo is very important to me because I think it's um, so well recognized and, and um, will be very useful for the future. Totally. And just the word. When, when was the word dope originated? Because I don't think people said it in the 70s. <laughs> You know, I don't, I don't know. It's been a long time and it's a great, it's a great word. Um, yeah. And it's, it's, it's um, I don't know how long it's been, but it's been a while. It's so funny. I, I can only imagine how many times you've now said it in the last four years. <laughs> yeah. It's tough. I try not to say it so much because, you know, it's my brand, but it just comes not. out. It just comes out, you know? Hey, owning a owning the trademarks around a word that everybody says is not a bad problem to have, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's dope. It's expensive though, right? Because everybody, the problem is when you know in clothing, you know, everybody thinks that it's it's a word and not a brand. So you know, people will start up dope barbershop or dope 
this or dope this and 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 they think it's a word and it's not it's a brand so it's just like you know my lawyers use the analogy of you can't go and start up nike barbershop or nike pets or you know nike whatever i mean it's yeah nike's a word it's a greek god but it's a brand and just like you can't use that you can't use the word dope thing so it's tough because people start these small businesses and they think that they're able to use something but you know it, it is According to different governments, it's a trademarked word, you know, and it's a brand. So it's um, it's expensive to police. I'm very glad right. that there's uh, somebody else policing that. Most have of you now. thought about like licensing it out to the barber shops? Because I don't think you're competing with them, are you? <laughs> no, but it hurts your brand, you know. Right. So you yeah. know, it, as you're building a a specific kind of niche market, you know, having dope, everything else kind of hurts you. So you got to be very careful. Right. But you know, right now looking to maybe do some license deals, watches, bicycles. Um, those are kind of the two on my hit list at the moment. Totally. I mean, those are, those are great ones. Watches. Oh my God. And are you a watch guy at all? Um, yeah, but I, I, you know, I'm a, I only wear Patek Philippe. So um, I don't really like, you know, it's just, I one watch that's it you know one type of watch right you're more of a, a wearer than a collector uh I mean I've got you know a few but yeah they're, they're I don't know if you know anything about them but they're great collections they're great watches totally uh, but yeah watches appreciate much better than vehicles <laughs> they've been doing really well yeah they've been uh crushing especially during this time that we live in now with you know, rare assets are definitely going up. Totally. Yeah. Some, uh, a good friend was breaking down the watch market to me and it's so much more complex than I thought because all these big companies like Audemars, for example, they'll only sell the watches to people who they think and deem are collectors so that if the collectors then go out and sell it, they'll never sell to that person again. Like it's insane, the dynamics from the company side because they sell so few. Yeah, same with Ferrari and other things. They try to- Is it really? That. When times get tough, they'll sell to anybody. <laughs> That's pretty right. funny. Now you got into sports cards at a fantastic time as well. Um, what made you go? Because when a lot of people- and, and even, you know, wealthier people have gotten into it in the last year or two. Everybody right. looks for the shiny stuff. Like they just go out and buy a hundred Luka Doncic PSA 10 rookies. What, uh, or was it counseling or advice that you got from somebody? Or was it just your knowledge of the industry that made you think mantle, this is what I need, not the flashy new stuff? You know, my investment style is a little different. You know, I don't really go for the penny stock. I go for just, you know, a quality that I just, you know, I like, you know, real estate, I would say location, location, location. I like to buy the best of the best, something that I know has low risk and that will continuously go up in, in the market. Um, and so that's where I looked at, let's say Luca, you know, the guy could get hurt. He could do something illegal. He could say something stupid and his prices go down. He couldn't, he could turn out to be a dud. They could find uh, that his mom signs autographs for him. <laughs> exactly right. And you know, those are risks that I don't really like to take. So I like, you know, the mantle is the most iconic piece in sports, you know, in the sports hobby, it's the Mona Leafs of sports cards. So for me, 
you know, to infuse that kind of cash into something. Um, I wanted to make sure that it was a solid, secure asset that, you know, not much risk there. Um, that, you know, there's just no better play for myself. Now, am I going to get a 10 X overnight? Like, let's say a Michael Jordan rookie goes where, you know, it's a little, you know, it's a less price point that more people can buy it. No, I mean, that's, you definitely have an opportunity to make more from a percentage basis buying a lower card. Um, but you have to sell a lot of Michael Jordans to equal, you know, $5 million double. Um, and there's just, you know, there's just less room. There's, there's less of them and less room of risk to, for that card to go down. So for my eyes, that is the most iconic card. That's the Mona Lisa. And that's the safest play you could ever do in this hobby. Right. And also buying a lot of things, which I've found out the hard way, as you can see behind me, uh, it takes up more space in your head. Like you, I don't even know everything I have. Like even just the look and see set, which I love as a collector more so than an investor. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't even, I probably have five or 600 of them, you know, it's like, yeah. <laughs> you know, like that takes up a little bit of space. Like I could just hear, these are the cards that I sold last night. You know, it's like there, it takes up headspace. Whereas I could have, instead of all of these gotten one something, which there are positives and negatives to both, but obviously in, in your case, it's the right choice. Well, the same thing with you. I mean, you know, I started off doing that. And let me tell you, I've got a massive collection, um, cards everywhere. I mean, most it's at the vault. This, this is like more of my childhood uh, cards here, but um, the vault is crazy with how much stuff is in there. And so that's when I started to pivot and said the same kind of thing as you is, hey, I bought all these cards and to make any money, I got to sell all these cards. And that's a lot of work. Right. And, uh, and a lot of things that to keep track of. So that's when I started pivoting and saying, hey, let's just try to consolidate a little bit and start buying bigger things. I just haven't really gotten rid of all the other stuff yet, but because um, it's cool. It's, it's a great collection. It's great to have, you know, it's totally I don't really want to get rid of this particular guy and his card, you know, although it's not right. very expensive. It's it's dope. So totally. And yeah. um you know, a lot of the stuff does appreciate pretty well, especially older, lower population stuff, yeah. really regardless of who it is, if, if, if it's a household name. Yep. Low population is the key in my eyes. Yeah. Especially with everything that's going on with PSA right now, not accepting and this and that, there are a lot of things to keep track of, but for the real, real high cards, like the ones you own, um, it's, it's just a different ball game because nobody's finding those. Right. Right. Yeah. Or, and, and it's not like, it, cause with some cards uh, it, you see the price go up and then all these people submit to PSA because they had them, but it didn't make financial sense to submit them until now. Whereas with a 52 mantle or whatever, something like that, people knew it was worth a lot. If they had it, they would have sent it in already. Right. You're right. Um, but no, I, I definitely like, that investment strategy of going for the high stuff. Do you think that's applicable for like even lower tier investors? Uh, like people who are putting $10,000, $20,000 into the market and you know have to make a decision of going for best stuff that anybody can afford as opposed to the lower stuff. Do, do, do you think that same strategy applies or do you think that at that point you 
mix things up a little more? You know, I think a diversified strategy is always important. Um, depends on the level you're at even. Um, but no, I think, I think the rent, you know, taking your money and putting all your eggs in one basket is, uh, I would, I would like to diversify. So if someone's got X dollars, I think it's a good strategy to buy, you know, put it into a few. Um, I wouldn't put all your eggs into one card. You know, for me, my, my mantle is not my only card. So that's just, uh, you know, it's part of the diversified strategy. I have more than $5 million in other cards. So, right. you know, it's not like, yeah. So I think diversified is fine, but I, I would, you know, maybe do 20% of your portfolio into a high end card and then maybe differentiate yourself on the rest. Totally. Now you mentioned that the mantle was the Mona Lisa, uh, of cards. How did your a, how did your NFT journey get started and yep. did it come from when you bought the mantle, this was something you always wanted to do because one of the big reasons why I, I wanted to do this now uh, is because you have your NFT drop coming up with the mantle Mona Lisa. I'll insert a picture over it so people can see um, if you're watching the video, but uh, where did this idea come from and what details can you sort of share about it? Well, you know, I started buying NFTs last year, 2020, and um, got into that as well. You know, I was buying cards and buying NFTs. I thought it was a really cool um, industry. And so what NFTs bought, were you into back then? I've got a few. Uh, I've, you know, I've bought, I've bought a few. I, I don't really like to talk about because I don't like the spike markets. You know what I mean? I, right. But, I'm um, trying to think of what I have the most of. Right now, I think I've got the most of Trevor Jones, Bitcoin Angel. I probably have, a, I've got the most of those because that was an open edition. Um, but then I've just got, you know, a sporadic collection. Um, and so, yeah, so I thought this would be a perfect, comp, you know, perfect thing to do mantle. Um, but replacing Mantle's face with Mona Lisa because Mona Lisa sport cards. And, and if you look closely in the card, it looks like the, the card was painted over, made over uh, the actual painting of, Math, of uh, Mona Lisa. So there's like paint coming through from the original. Um, each of the NFTs are signed by different people. So the, the one of one is signed by um, the founder of Bitcoin because without him, well, the founder, no one really knows for sure, but, um, but that's what we think. And without him, then the rest wouldn't be there. Then the, the one of 30 is signed by the founder of Ethereum, because that's, you know, what you'll buy the, um, the NFT in. Then the third one looks similar to my card and, um, you know, in a, in a big glass case. And it kind of goes back to the first mantle that I owned as a kid, because when I owned the one as a kid, it was a reprint but my mom sent it to me. It was in this big screw down case. So it's kind of the case is kind of a combination of a PSA looking um, thing, but it's also really a big case like I did as a kid and how my, my uh, reproduction was, um, was housed. And that one's signed by me because it's my car. Uh, and then the, uh, the last one, um, that one is signed by Mona Lisa because Mona's face is on it. And you'll see too on the, on the NFTs, uh, there's a lot of hidden Easter eggs. 
So on the backs, they're all the backs are different and they've got just super cool things that you kind of have to, a lot of them you have to be an NFT kind of, you know, passionate about NFTs to understand or maybe Ethereum uh, passionate about. There's a lot of things that you kind of have to figure out, um, you know, what they mean, how many, why there's so many zeros in the back or they all mean something. So there's a lot of Easter eggs that an NFT collector um, or um, a crypto fan will, um, I think they'll maybe not understand what they can figure out. Everything is there for a reason. So it's, um, it's beautiful. And I, and I tapped a, a great friend of mine of a, of a long time, an incredible um, artist uh, who is, is known in the space and has worked with, you know, the greats. He's worked with people for many years and he's worked with all these guys for many years. He's just really great. And so tapped him to, to do it with me. Um, so it's been a long process. It's taken a lot longer than, um, than we should have taken on it, but, you know, wanted to make sure it's perfect. And, um, and I think it's freaking gorgeous. And, I love uh, that. Well, this guy would be very proud. Oh, <laughs> yeah, he would. <laughs> he would for, love it. For those listening to the audio, I held up a Leonardo da Vinci card. Um, but no, it's super exciting, man. And I know, you know, you mentioned as well, wanting to work smart contracts into NFTs, because as we all know, that is the future of everything NFTs. Um, you know, it's how tickets to games will be sold. It's how concerts will be sold that, and everything will have different levels of access points that are transferable. And most importantly, you know, the problem has always been uh, that the most famous and best greatest artists in the history of the world haven't been rewarded for their own work because, you know, Da Vinci never saw the 500 million that his work was sold for. Uh, Basquiat sells a piece for 5,000. Then it gets sold for a hundred million or 50 million on the secondary. And there's no royalties received of that. Whereas the way it should be is the artist gets a piece, um, you know, no matter whether they sell at the beginning of their career or the end of every sale after that. And yep. I think that's one of the great things that NFTs are, are enabling. Yeah, I agree. And so that's the thing. Yeah. So each one of these will also have a smart contract and, um, and will allow access to something. So, you know, the, the one of, uh, the, the one of most, which is Mona Lisa, you know, that will have, you know, at the moment, it's going to be a discount on dope.com. So 25%. Now there, everything kind of goes back to the $5.2 million that I paid for the card. And then because it's 1952 as well, I don't know if anybody realized that, but 1952 and 5.2 kind of cool that it's both 52. So everything on this, you know, it drops, um, at 5:20 p.m. on Eastern on May 17th, it ends at you know uh, 5:20 p.m. Eastern um, on that Saturday. So everything kind of you know that's why there's one of 152, one of 52. Everything is kind of it kind of goes with that 5.2, that 52. But um, you know some will be access to a cocktail. Uh, party a two-hour cocktail party um, at the national in 2020 or 2022 some will you know include a dinner um, the one of one will include you know dinner and uh, at the vault where I made you know where my my particular card is purchased you know I think this nft is is uh, is real art and it's it's something that's um, 
you know, some people are like, oh, it's not real art, it's digital, but that's not true. I, um, you know, obviously people that collect NFTs don't believe that, but, you know, it's a way to really meet and, uh, and also to see kind of what fueled this. And that's where we'll, we'll see the, the card and, and have dinner. And so there's a lot of, you know, kind of offers access to things. Everything comes with more than just the NFT, which is kind of cool. Now, uh, where, where and when can people buy it? So Monday, the 17th of May. So, um, and then it's on rarible.com. Got it. Amazing. Now it's going to be done. Uh, you can purchase it via Ethereum. Yeah. Um, what What's your personal state of the union on, on Ethereum? Because as of recording this, it's doing all right. Ethereum's great. You know, I'm uh, I'm definitely strong in Ethereum. I'm I'm mostly strong in Chainlink, which is another uh, crypto. But so I'm heaviest in Chainlink. Um, and then, uh, Ethereum and then obviously, you know, Bitcoin. So, you know, my personal thoughts, I don't know, if I'm, I don't know how you're, I don't know if you're about to say what you think from a financial standpoint, but you know, yeah, I think it's, I think it's strong. I, you know, I, I think personally, and I, I don't know this stuff. I don't think really anybody knows what's going to happen in the future, obviously. No, it's all guessing. <laughs> it's all guessing. So I'm not a finance, you know, not finance, but you know, I, I think that if I'm going to risk money into crypto, which everything is a risk. Everybody, you know, from cards to real estate to stock to everything is a risk. Um, I, you know, I go for I go for Link because I think it's gonna get a bigger multiple, and then I think Ethereum will have an, a great multiple this year, and uh, and Bitcoin is obviously the safest. So that's why I kind of stick to those three mainly. I mean, I've got a lot of diverse portfolio, as as you know yeah. about me. I'm a very diverse guy, um, but <laughs> <laughs> but that's. Uh, that, that's kind of how I've allocated my crypto investment. I love it. Yeah, I can't do any of the poo coins and things like that. <laughs> but a lot of people, you know, do it. It's so funny. Um, you know, majority of my Instagram friends now are all crypto experts every day. It's freaking graphs. So crazy how that happened in 90 days. <laughs> it's insane. Um, but, you know, I hope everybody crushes it. I just, I... Uh, but by pure me. math, that's impossible that everybody crushes it. Yeah, it scares me. You know, I mean, I think some people are going to be get lucky and and uh, catch the lottery ticket, and then a lot of people are going to get hurt. So that's why, just like with the mantle, I stick to the basics. I stick to the more, you know, staples. Hey, man, we we love we love that here. <laughs> well, and, and that's also why you know for this particular NFT drop, I mean, the card, the the NFTs are gorgeous and they, they're just I think incredible um, but you know the whole point of this is for values to go up you know ideally I mean obviously they're they're buying access for the smart contract but the goal is for you know people to eventually you know for it to make money and that's where um, very very limited supply and all of them and you know total you know it's right around 200 total out of four so that's if you look at you know Bitcoin angel for example you know, that, that open edition, that was over 4,147 or something over 4,000 additions. Um, and it's just hard. Like, like when you're buying a Michael Jordan, PSA 10, 1986 Fleer, you know, there's 316 of them. It's hard to control that, that cost a lot more than, you know, than there's only six mantle nines. So that's why um, this particular drop, it was important to, it's not a money grab it's a long-term play. And that's why there's only, um, a, you know, very small number. And they access things like time. 
and they access my most valuable asset, which is my time. Hey, that, that's, that's how everybody has to look at it. It shocks me that not everybody does yet. Yeah. But. And I'm excited to meet people that are also, you know, I think, I think the collector of this, it kind of is a hybrid between both cards and NFT. It kind of brings people together, the passions of both. Um, so I'll be excited to meet people in person and, and chop it up. And, um, you know, it's, it's about bringing more awareness to both vintage baseball and vintage sports cards, you know, Mona Lisa, obviously being a vintage savior. Um, and, um, and also the, you know, a small allocation of your assets possibly goes into the NFTs or something. It's good to kind of be a hybrid of both. And, and, uh, you know, if I'm going to do an NFT, this, it's kind of goes together with what my two passions are. I love it, man. Well, I can't wait to see. So you said May 17th, yep. uh, Monday, Monday on Rarible. Yeah. I, I think it's going to sell it pretty fast because it's so, you know, there's not a lot of additions. Um, so I hope that it does. And I hope that people, you know, enjoy it and, and, uh, see the beauty in it and see why and see kind of the, the figure out the Easter eggs. Totally. And then you'll see them at the national, which it seems like it's going to happen. It, it's probably going to happen this year. I just didn't want to risk it and right. do it for the national this year. And then it'll definitely be back next year. With everybody and, and, um, you know, or maybe somebody is still, you know, maybe, maybe COVID keeps them from coming. And then, so they, they own the NFT and, you know, and they couldn't make it because of, uh, of, of COVID. And so no, totally. I didn't want to put anybody at risk or anybody questioning what to do. So that's a true, a true man of the people, Rob, thank that's you. Uh, thank you so much for doing this, dude. Thank you so much for having me. And I, I can't wait for you to see it um on monday it's you're gonna love it it's, it's incredible oh yeah well find the man at rob g on instagram and uh catch you all next time thanks again thank you sir appreciate you having me boom